if I told you what that what I put them lads through, you wouldn't believe it. Curling has to be the most difficult, eye-hurting sport I've ever witnessed. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been described as the bridesmaids of Harlan. Well, today we got married. Oh, there's no rules. This guy just grabbed the ball, threw it up in the air, and then hit it. Boss! Boss of Harlan, I'd like to thank you, the people of Wexford, who stuck with us through taking place. Hello and welcome to the Hurling Podcast. We were delighted to be joined by both Hurling and Podcast Specialist Brian Carroll for this episode as we get the former Offaly Sharpshooter and host of the excellent A Hurler's Life podcast to review the quarterfinals, preview the semifinals and talk a bit about Wexford, including picking his best Wexford six. So after a successful appearance in the Sunday game, you've earned your spot here on the Hurling Podcast, Brian, so you're very welcome. Oh, thanks, lads. Yeah, big honour. The Wexford, the Wexford boys, very, very happy to join you. We were actually thinking there before, if I remember correctly, did you mark Key Roster on his championship debut in Nolan Park in 03, or am I wrong with that? Um, I'd say that's a fact, yeah. Yeah. Um, just that was a that was a tight game. Yeah. I <laughs> thanks for bringing that one up. By the way, um, I missed a free to draw the game from about 45, 50 metres out, fairly central position. Nolan Park was absolutely jammers the same day. There was definitely 20,000 inside in it. It was, um, it was kind of tit for tat in the first half. It was a good old game. Uh, Joe Erty actually was playing full forward roughly. He'd, he'd, um, he kind of filtered up and down between the backs and forwards, but he was full forward. I was corner. And I think, yeah, I'm nearly certain Rory Hannafy was the other corner. And um, yeah, we, we did okay in the first half, but uh, Wexter kind of came to grips in the second half and Paul Codd actually um, hurled quite well. He was on the freeze. He was captain the same day. And um, yeah, our regular free taker, Dave Murray, who's from my own club, he got taken off. And so the there was the last free, basically, to hit it. And one of the selectors gave me a nod to hit that. So, you know, I was young and bashful and said, here, I'll, I'll chance it. Um, but it was kind of like afterwards, um, I think Brian Whelan kind of, I didn't realise he kind of wanted to hit it because it was kind of, I think Simon said to me, um, oh, do you want Brian to hit it? And I was like, no, I'm glad I'll, I'll hit it. But uh, I think turns out after Brian was making his way up the field, so maybe it would have been better off in hindsight if I'd have let Brian win it. Uh, he might have scored it. So no, I made I made um I made a rookie error that same day because um I pondered too long over the ball. So obviously I had my unique style of um, hitting the freeze, you know, with a bit of a crouch, and um, the ref kind of blew the whistle to delay me hitting the free and. Um, so I don't know what was going on. Was there someone was too close to the free or there was he was talking to players inside in the box or whatever was going on. But um, I didn't reset and I stayed in the crouch position kind of um, just completely overthinking the whole situation. And actually, as I said, the crowd was huge there and the Wexford crowd actually started to whistle and boo and whatever because they probably weren't happy with the referee as, a, as opposed to like um, a little, maybe a little bit of gamesmanship, but it wasn't brutal or anything. But uh, yeah, obviously it started to get to me and um I just I hit the ball dead straight. That's what I did. Um and I was lined up just outside the the say the left post. Um and uh, unfortunately just stayed stayed dead straight and never went never went into in between the posts and we lost by a point. So um disaster. But I know Paul Codd that evening he was interviewed um by RT News and he just said he was disappointed with the Wexford fans for actually um 
booing me while I was hitting free, but I don't think they were actually booing if if you know not like the way we'd see in soccer. I think it was just more they were annoyed over the, the referee maybe giving away the free and then obviously holding up. Um so the tension kind of built. So yeah, definitely a learning curve um in terms of I should have reset. You know, that was probably the big one for me. I should I should have reset and I made sure that like you know that I just walked away from the ball, replaced the ball and all those sort of things. And yeah. Uh, unfortunately you, you kind of when you're a young lad you dream of those days of hitting the freeze that matters like the one to win it or whatever the rider over stuff kind of thing and then you finally um, come along and you get the opportunity and you make a, a balls of it excuse me French but um, that's the truth and uh, yeah it hurt me hurt me a lot being honest um, yeah it took a I wouldn't say it took ages to get over but uh, actually I remember going um, back to Langton's afterwards thinking like I, I would have been crying after like I would have been fairly upset like um Motions would have been running high, missing that. And uh, went down to the hotel to Langton's afterwards and met Kevin Martin. And uh, I think Kevin Martin was injured the same day. Um, no, sorry, he was just retired. And uh, Kevin was good to me the previous year when I first joined and um, met him in Langton's. And he was like, oh, Jess Carl, what were you at the state yeah He says, I'd have kicked it over the bar from that far out. So, <laughs> in fairness to me, he made me laugh. So that was his whole idea. So in fairness to him, sure, I kind of had to look at that way then as well. Like, look, you know. You made a hands of a butcher. Yeah. Don't game hurling at the end of the day. It wasn't my intention to bring that up now. I actually thought <laughs> I thought you had a good game that day. <laughs> I actually remember Roster was taken off, I think, before half time because you were doing well. I th- I had my memory. Yeah, I, I actually can't recall if he was well. I know like, I heard okay from play, yeah. I got a couple of points in play, all right, yeah. Um as I said, I was young and bashful and fearless back then. Myself and Rossi obviously were the same age. We would have uh, hurled all the way up along against each other under 14, 15, 16, all the way up along minor. So um, we knew each other quite well. Um, serious operator, tough as nails. And then obviously we came up against each other in the club as well uh, in the Leinster final in um, 2011, which for us was obviously a great day. Yeah, it that, wasn't too bad, no. That's harsh you've been trying to put Brian on the back foot straight away. <laughs> <laughs> hey, lads, at least we're on the air now. <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to bring him down to my level. <laughs> Why did you mark Rossi and have him taken off at halftime? No, I never managed to mark Rossi. I marked Paul Roach though. If you ever, if you have ever marked him, oh yeah, well, it's not simple either. Now let me tell you, <laughs> Roach. Good he luck. Just, he just growls at you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's actually a fact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I tell you, I have to say now, I had some great battles. Oh, some of the extra boys down to the ears. Oh, Jesus Christ almighty, stop. Um, yeah, no, tough days. We actually, there was very little between Wexford. Um, it tended to be whoever was at home tended to win. But still actually took a few years for us to actually beat you in championship. Um, 2012, I think it was, before we actually beat you. And every other match was really close. Um, probably bar 0-9 in Wexford Park, um, where I think he won by about five or six points. Um, Stephen Banville went to town that day. He got a couple of goals. And Fitzhenry saved two penalties, um, one for myself, and I think, I can't remember who the other one. Um, but yeah, Fitzy broke my heart a couple of times against Wexford. Leinster final, obviously, in 0-4 was another day. First half, we should have had you bet out of sight. Um, Fitzhenry made four saves, um, three unbelievable saves. One probably, Diggy Cardell probably should have tapped over the bar, but um, the other saves were, were phenomenal. And like, he got the All-Star that year and fully deserved, like... There's no doubt about it. And he actually got a really soft goal just leading up to halftime. Um, a ball came across the square and David Franks, who to me is 
um, the best cornerback I've ever seen playing for Offaly. Um, just pondered over over a simple rise, and uh, Mick Jacob got in and just flicked it back into the back of the net. And um, I remember going in at halftime that day. Actually, we were really despondent, and like we shouldn't have been. Like I think we were okay. We'd done all the hurling, but I think we could have been a point up or a point down. There was only a point in it either way, anyway. But it was like it's where the dressing was like a morgue. It's where we were after getting hammered in the first half, um, and it was a real wrong attitude. Um, so probably a little bit of inexperience, and we probably needed probably more experienced players to come to the fore there and like maybe change the mindset. Um, and we just went out in the second half. And when Brian Whelan got injured, kind of we made a couple of strange decisions. Um, Barry Whelan went back to wing back, where he's probably obviously not comfortable with. And Paul Carley got a great goal off him actually um, on the run into the low into the bottom corner, the canal end. So yeah, Wexford just saw it out that day, just did enough. Um, so yeah, uh, disappointing days. I remember that day I was actually I was taken off that day in the Leicester final. I somehow picked up a viral infection. Um, I remember before the match, I was really really sick, um, wasn't feeling well at all, and um, went to the doctor and. Uh, Peter McAuliffe, he's the kind of the bird doctor for years. And he was in my office at that time. Fierce, nice man, gentleman. And I was like, Jesus, PJ, like, I'm really not well. I'm feeling really sick. I was like, oh, it's just nerves, brain. It's just, I was like, no, it's not. Like, <laughs> I was a cocky, you know, whatever, 21 at the time. I was like, no, no, trust me. I've lived for this day. Like, I'm mad, mad for road. I was like, I'm telling you, no, I'm not well. I went into the Jacks. I was trying to get sick in the Jacks. I wasn't able. And when I played the first half, I actually played, I played well in the first half. And, um, but I came in at halftime and uh, we were all down, um, you know, in the dumps, but I was actually freezing cold. Like that just tells you that something's not right with your body. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you have to play in a whole first half in Crow Park and Crow Park's a cauldron. Like you're actually, even on the coldest of days, you're warm in Crow Park. And uh, there was 46,000, I think I read lately at that game. I'd say about 40,000 40, were from Wexford. I'm completely outnumbered awfully. And um, I remember being freezing. And just had no energy at halftime. And um, so when Wexford were getting presented the cup, my mother actually made her way down to me. And she was like, um, I was sitting on like the side of the pitch, you know, the, the Hogan stand side and where the kind of the doctor sits or whatever, um, or selectors. And um, my mother was like, get up now and show some respect to Wexford lifting the cup. And I was like, I'm actually not able. Like, I'm physically not able. And I went in and I actually collapsed inside in the, um, you know, the, the warm-up area. And the doc had to give me an injection afterwards. So I was at home in bed by whatever time we got back that night, half nine, ten o'clock. The boys were on the beer, obviously. They went to the beer the next day, you know, feeling sorry for themselves, pints, and they were ringing me. And I was like, glad I'm in bed. I spent about four days in bed afterwards. I was an absolute mess. So, yeah, the couple of... <laughs> Just really, Ben, you're killing me here, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing up all my bad days, huh? <laughs> 2011. Yeah, that's the final. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Do you want me to talk about that? 2011, I'll talk about that all day. Yeah, no butterflies. And we only have so much time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now we move into the, the weekend now. Um, the, the big decision, I suppose, on the Tip Galway game is obviously the, the sending off of Carl Barrett. And it seemed to be, seemed to be a consensus from most pundits that the second one was a yellow and the first one wasn't. But you, or did I see you actually thought that the second one wasn't either? Look, the way the game has gone, it's a yellow. Like he did clip him on the shoulder or on the helmet. Um, I don't think there was any intent 
obviously to hit him in the head and people would go, oh, where's intent in the rule book? Um, but I think this is the problem with the way a referee has gone. This wouldn't have been a, a yellow card three or four years ago, let alone 10 years ago. Um, there's no way in the world that was a that was um, a yellow card offence a couple of years ago. And I don't think it should be a yellow card. And I think this is the issue that a lot of, say, hurling people have with the referee's assessor sitting in the stand and the pressure that's coming on referees that if, it, you know, that if the hurl hits the helmet, that it's a, a yellow card. And probably, now, this would have been to the temporary disaster if there had been a little bit more consistent that Jake Morris would have got a sending off in the, in the first half because he obviously had was on a yellow, went to hook Cottle and clipped him across the helmet. Again, no intent. And that's the way the referee looked at it. He went, mm, yeah, he hit him in the helmet, but he didn't mean to. So, um, yeah, okay. Let's, he just gave him a tick. And um, you know, Jake yeah. Morris on tin ice afterwards. I actually thought Jake Morris would be taken off straight after that because you know he was running a risk. Like if he fouled again, he was probably going to be sent off. Um, and I know obviously Jake being a forward wouldn't be a man for fouling usually, but um, still it was a risk for Tipperary to leave him on. Um, so yeah, I don't think I think I think that's a very very harsh yellow card. It is it is a yellow card in today's game, unfortunately. There's not enough common sense allowed in refereeing. I think. Mm. It's it, yeah. it's as you said. It's the referees playing to the assessor in the stand, trying mm. to follow the rule book. Like the, the Jake Morris one was common sense. Uh, yeah, you get to see it in the replay, but the referee didn't get to see it in the replay. But he, he knows what happened. He knows that Jake yeah. went to hook him and taps the back of the helmet. I've done it numerous times. Yeah, I've got away with it and I've been booked for it. And you know, if a referee wanted, he could end up going, okay, that's a red card. You just struck struck to the helmet. Yeah. Yeah, but you want to see more common sense though, and the Carl Barr one would have taken a bit of common sense in. Look, he's going for the ball here. Yeah, he's tapped the helmet, but there was no intent. There was no danger. Your man is fine. Yeah, exactly. And like, if you look back in it, like Brian Cannon stole the yard on him and was out in front of him. And I just think, I actually watching it live, and obviously I'm, it's from a different angle. I, I was up in the gantry. Like I thought. At first, thought Burke was going to shoot, so I was actually really surprised that he actually hand passed the ball in. And Brankin Cannon obviously had made the move to look for that pass, and then, like no matter what angle you look at it, Carl Barrett reached in with his hurl to try and flick the ball, and just Brian Cannon got that half a step ahead of him, like, and it's just that's why he caught him across the head. Like there was no intention; he was literally trying to flick the ball away. So. That, that to me is what I find so frustrating. And obviously the first yellow card, no, no matter what camera angle it look, it doesn't seem to pick up anything. Now, maybe he did clip him on the hand and we just don't see that angle. And this comes back to the whole thing that this is why the reason that was given is because probably there was a noise over it and you wouldn't have heard that usually in Championship Hurling. It's because there's no crowds. So that's probably a you know an issue with why people are accusing referees of being so whistle happy at the moment. It's the fact that they're actually hearing hurls smacking and they're hearing the grunts but the hits from the players so some of these frees are being given that wouldn't be usually given in, in the trust of Championship Hurling and the fact obviously that the crowd when they're there apart from the noise of them um, drowning out those things they'd be banned for blood if those type of frees were given in, in, in you know if they were actually there at the game and the referee wouldn't be as quick to give them I think yeah, the only thing I could see from the first one is maybe he made a swipe with the hurl, but yeah, you'd imagine if if there was a clatter in the hand that the hand would be being held like you do when you get yeah, a clatter in the true. hand, even if you know just the initial tap on the hand makes it is enough to to hold it. Like yeah, um, no, I I agree with you. So look, the first one seems extremely strange, but look, there must have been something in it. But yeah, I still I still think I think I think it's a shame that we see a yellow card for the second one. Being honest, I just think it's um it's not the way. 
like we're not looking for lawlessness here like they're not looking for <laughs> that's the pull strokes across lads heads or anything we're looking for a little bit of common sense we know the difference we're constantly saying this we know the difference between intent and not intent um, so it, it shouldn't be so it shouldn't be so um, black and white you know there has to be a bit of common sense as we keep saying yeah, I think that's the way Brian Gavin used to referee, and I know he keeps everyone keeps referring to him, but that's exactly what he did. He knew the difference, you know. Um, sure, look at the slap he got in the nose himself. He knew Tommy <laughs> didn't mean to hit him across the nose. He meant to hit Owen Kelly. That would have been perfectly fine then if he did hit Owen Kelly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the fights just sort themselves out. I uh, think. I think he probably should have got the red for that. Now, to be honest. Ah, no. Sure, would have ruined all Ireland. Isn't that that what everyone says? That is true. Like, it was ruined last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, like, like, it's one thing that... That was Johnny Murphy there at the weekend that was refereeing it. Myself and Ben were in Crow Park for Wexford against Dublin in the league at the start of the year, which is one of the worst matches I've seen just because of the stop-start nature of it. Mm. Like, absolutely everything was being blown as a free, and it just it ruined the, the game completely. Uh, when I saw him going to be referee in this game, I kind of worried. I didn't think it was still a great game. What there was, the whistle did go too much again, I think. But I always feel about James Owens. Now, I know he did the um, All Ireland last year and sent Richie Hogan off, but he did it after enough talking to his linesmen and his, uh, and his umpires and stuff. But I think he, he often referees the game a lot looser than, than a lot of referees. Now, maybe I'm just trying to big him up because he's my own club man but I, I do think he does and he his games are always enjoyable to watch but then they can have some controversial moments which he gets mm. scrutinized for and maybe yeah. that's because he's trying to let them go a bit more yeah so no, i think i think that's a fair point it's too. It's, it's tough for the referees to, to make that to draw that line of what what's common sense here maybe <laughs> Yeah, well, I probably what we saw the other day was actually really good officiating from Sean Stack as linesman because Johnny Murphy got a call very wrong where he blew. I think it was Shane Cooney for catching the ball three times yeah. when he didn't see Shane Cooney drop the ball to the ground and start his catches again. So in fairness to Sean Stack, he overruled it because like that would have been a massive call, you know. Um, and I, like that's really good instance where you know linesmen are you know t- taking maybe the the call. Um, and helping the referee and if you I suppose if we could see more of that um, it would be better for the game because the linesmen sometimes can see things obviously that the, the ref can't I, I think it's starting to become a little bit more um, prevalent in the game where the linesmen uh, you know kind of help out you don't want to you know um, you don't want to probably see everything um, you know being blown all the time we don't want to see this kind of as you were saying in that league earlier where every single small infraction is actually called because it just ruins the game of hurling. I think that was probably why everyone was so critical of the first couple of rounds um, in both Leinster and Munster this year as well. It was too kind of, it's too much like a practice match, being honest, you know. And uh, another issue actually would have been the fact that um, puckouts were let happen too quickly. Um, that's a bugbear of mine. I hate it. Um, that to me is not championship hurling, we'll say. You, know, you often see it in the league or you see it in practice matches, the ball would be got, barely gone wide and they'd be poked out again. And, you know, I think that's crazy. And I couldn't believe it, actually. The, if, if we go back to the first two rounds, like Leash were trying to do it against Dublin when Dublin were absolutely pummeling them. And Clare were doing the same against Limerick. And I was like, lads, I know you probably won't win a, a long 50-50 ball, but at the same time, you need to slow this game down, not speed <laughs> it up. You know? Eo Kiefer is not happy with your comments right now. 
<laughs> yeah, do you love the, the, the fast ones? All right, in fairness. And Wexford are big into it, but sure, look, um, you know, the, the, the poke out strategy for Wexford obviously is a big uh, bone of contention as well. Um, how much energy they invest in it, and did they actually have a earpiece in the last day? Was that actually confirmed or anything? Didn't hear if it was confirmed now. I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to know. Could do a bit of investigating, but I don't want to, you know, just in yeah, case. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I know. We see, like... What are the rules ma- on that? I wouldn't say it's allowed, but I suppose no one's ever tried it before. Uh, maybe it's not even in the rule book. It can't even be uh, can't even be stopped, I suppose, to be honest. Um, maybe I'm being a bit harsh, but I probably believe it's true, considering that, you know, they did have someone standing behind the goal last year, directing book outs and telling them where to go. Like so. Now we're not allowed that, man. Yeah, exactly. So we have to replace so. him. Yeah, so I look at the, it's, it's a lot going on, but I don't know. I think we're taking a little bit of the instincts though. But like, you know, Mark Fanning's a top class keeper. Like, he has to be able to call it as he sees it as well. It can't always be preordained. Well, he did. He said that to us. Like, it's it's not every single puck out. Like, it's just mm. if there's a message, he'll get it, but it's not like, yeah, he can only puck out when your man tells him what to do. Like, you know, it's not that. Like, yeah, no, of course, of course, but um, yeah, it's just a, uh, the, the thing with too intricate a poke out strategy is that obviously it's very hard to do it for 70 minutes um, you need huge energy on the players as well um, and the higher the game the higher obviously the the energy that's used and obviously the, the harder it is to concentrate when it gets into the melting pot and um, that's why it tends to break down and that's probably what you saw happen with Wexford last year in the semi-final as well when it, when it started to break down, when it need, was needed most, it's it's very 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 difficult to keep running the poker strategy to that high a level. You know, at some stage, there needs to be um, a big play by a big player to win ball that maybe they've no right to win. If, you know, fifty fifty or a thirty seventy ball. You know, they just have to win it. Like that that's what you see most winning teams do. That's not being critical of Wexford. Um, you know, that's that's the way. I think that's the way all. Puck out strategies can be overdone and overthought at times. I suppose there's just so much importance being put on them because there's so many of them in the game now, and each mm. one of them is a chance to get possession, and possession is huge these days as well. But yeah, as you said, it doesn't always work out, and it certainly didn't for Wexford last week. Yeah, like I, I think um, you know Wexford are are excellent at, at retaining possession. Like they're, they're, I'd say they're up there in terms of. The, percentages um in terms of retaining possession from their puckouts like they're absolutely excellent at it um but you know i was i was um commentating on their game against dublin last year in the championship in parnell park and they absolutely destroyed dublin for 25 minutes with their puckout strategy um and dublin were at sixes and sevens could not deal with but eventually they got the grips with it and when they did get the grips with like wexford couldn't hold on to any position whatsoever and like um they really struggled when they weren't able to retain the possession from from those pokeouts so like when it's all about a pokeout strategy as i'm saying sometimes the the um the good old-fashioned win your own ball kind of can, can be forgotten at times and look it looks like i'm just being critical of Wexford. i think i think it's the same i think the same can be said of cork as well using anthony nash with his pokeouts they're excellent but they, they use a huge amount of energy in that half hour line the amount of running that half hour line for cork has had to do and even their full forward line try and create that space and to continue to do it and obviously as the game wears on it's harder and harder to do that because um there's not as much space and there's not as much energy in their players to, to actually 
create that space and, and make that run every single time. You know, so at some stage there has to be a ball winner there to actually win these balls. Yeah. Suppose we go back to the Tip Galway game, the sending mm. off. Do you think that that had a huge bearing on it? I think it did, being honest, yeah. Like it was the 51st minute, I think, uh, when the send, send off was. So, like, you know, you look at it, it was still under 22 or three minutes played, like after that. So, um, you know, down to 14 men is a tough ask. And, you know, Galway in the first half played a sweeper you know in the second half they probably pushed up a little bit more um you know didn't you know part man tends to drift back a bit but it was david burke playing sweeper in the first half and then at times obviously tipperary you know had two inside because obviously sorry they'd only one inside because obviously they were only playing two inside at that stage because they were down a man so they'd obviously filtered everyone back and the way it worked out sometimes there was only shaming up there on his own so that was a lot of ground to be covering and scores became very hard for Tipperary to be got at that particular stage um so yeah it made a difference and like obviously the goal came from an overlap you know the fact that they had extra an extra player in the, on the field but that was probably a um a good use of the advantage rule by Johnny Murphy in that particular case that he allowed it a crew um you know because he could have pulled it back. It probably looked like he was going to pull it back for for Brian Concanon when he when he got fouled, um, but it let it happen. You know, a lot of people would have thought Aiden Harris was going to put that ball over the bar, but uh, he went for it. To be fair, if there's probably um, I know a lot of Tipperary people are probably not happy with Brian Holland's um, performances up this year, but um, you know, I, could he be blamed for the goals? I think if there's one thing he struggles with, it's a low ball. Um, you know, we saw that with Lee Chin in last year's Ireland semi final yeah. as well. I think he would have been disappointed with that ball as well. He's obviously such a big man, he's six foot three or four. It's a um, six, it gets six, it hard to get down to those. Is what Jerk Canning kept saying, Jesus Christ! Yeah, he's a giant anyway. He's a, <laughs> he's a gentle giant, he's a, he's a fierce, nice fellow. He's a, he, you know, he, he has um, speaking of bug outs, he's a much better bug out than people probably give him credit for, you know. Um, he probably they, they probably don't play as much sharp puckouts and probably don't have as um, intricate as a puckout strategy as, as other teams do. But um, he's still able to ping them to, to players when needed to as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, I do I do think that the setting off had a had a fair bearing on it. But then having said that, you know, it, it brings up the whole debate about um, I won't say the black card, but for me, the need for a penalty in those situations where a professional foul has been um, happening, you know. Jamie Cannon goes straight through and goal. Yeah, um, I, I think it's the only way it, it has to go. And I don't think a black card, I don't think anyone hurled it once. I don't think it works in football. You know, all day long you're still going to pull a lad down in that situation. You want to yeah. take a black card. I, I heard just, you talk. I heard you talking about that recently, actually, and yeah. we've talked about it on this podcast before as well. That the black card <clears throat> it won't solve it because, as you said, especially mm. if it's in the last minute, or especially mm. if it was a situation where Callan and Callan was running through and Tui just two arms around him, drags him down. Mm. He's going to do that if he's going to get a black card. No doubt yeah. about it. Whereas if it's a penalty, he can't do it because no. he has to let the play transpire. And that's what you want. You want the play to transpire. Yeah. Yeah. And like, there were still no guarantees he was going to get a goal there. Like, you know, no. he still had a lot to do. Like, he just, I think it lends itself to better defending as well. And I'm thinking of an example and I know, I don't want to sound like it's always about Wexford, but there was an example of Galway. I think, again, I think it was Brian Concanon going through with a ball and Kevin Foley just wrapped his arms around him and pulled him down top of him. And the referee, I think it was Fergal Horgan, the same night. I'm not sure on that now, but he um, he gave a free in because the way he looked at it is Kevin Foley wrapped his arms around him and pulled him down. And Kevin Foley was obviously come back out referee going, oh, Jesus, he barged, whatever. But to me, Kevin knew exactly what he was doing. He was trying to pull him down top of him. Um, and like... 
you'll say that's a deliberate pull down. Should that be a penalty? Um, probably not. But at the same time, to me, it's the type of tackle that's creeping into the game. This kind of trying to pull lads down and almost buy freeze and you know, so it gets frustrating. A lot of those frees are happening, and uh, I think it just needs to go. Like it might put a shift in emphasis of how people tackle. And, yeah. You know, not this kind of always charging in and trying to, um, you know, or, or the ropey tackle that we're talking about. Like, like some of them, some of them are horrible. Like I, I'm, I'm thinking of Dublin Leash and Danny Sutcliffe. You know, trips to, um, Paddy Purcell. Yeah. You know, he's 45 meters out and Dublin are hammering Leash. Like, you know, seriously. And Paddy got an awful fall because that's a. You know, when you trip someone's legs like that and you're in full flight, you know, you can get really busted like off the ground. Um, and you're just going like, like that's just ridiculous. Like, you know, and you, you've seen it last year in, in the Monster Championship, you know, cornerback tried to trip a player and he 30 metres out. Like, and it's just, we don't we don't like to see that happening. Like, and I think the penalty is the only way to deter that. Like, uh, I think it's part of it, no? A lot of people are saying, like you said there, it's creeping into the game. It's Yeah. It's in the game. Yeah, true. Like, you know? True. Yeah, it's full, actually, it's, that's, every game. that's true. Yeah. And how do we how do we make sure that the GA don't address this with a black card because it's so talked about? Like, I, I, but everyone talks. Everyone that you want to be listening to are talking about how the black card is not the solution. Yeah, but I've only heard a couple of people talking about the penalty being the solution, which again it just seems like the most logical approach. Yeah. yeah, look, unfortunately, like a lot of things, you need to you need the national media to kind of pick up on this, and you need good. Space was it in the rules committee? You know, you need good hurling people that kind of are listening to people on the ground and um, kind of understanding the need for a penalty as opposed to the black card. Like to me, those situations should be a penalty and a yellow card. Um, you know, we don't. I don't think anyone wants the the black card in in football. And look, people are going to say, "Oh, how do you know it was the liberal pull down and all that?" I think that's subjective. I think that's that's on a referee anyway. Yeah, know a lot of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know a lot of them. And I just think. Deliberate. Yeah, but I just think you won't see a lot of that anymore. Like, and and th- what I'm the, the wider point I was trying to make about that Kevin Foley tackle was that it's it's a, a type of tackle that's crept in over the last number of years. Whereas, as opposed to trying to run around about a lad, trying to hook him, try to block him, try to flick the ball away, that sort of skill, that old kind of what we say art of defending, that kind of is creeping out of the game because people trend now to rush in, hold him up with their hands. Swarm tackle, two or three lads get in in that situation, and I know it's a different type of tackle and it's very, very successful in what they do. But um, you know, I, I just think you know that's that sometimes uh, that art of defending and those flicks and hooks and blocks. You know, we don't see it as much in the game anymore because the, the emphasis on, on tackling has changed. Does Carl Mannion not get enough credit? Thinking of his goal the other day, yeah. people are like, Ah, Omar, a bit of inexperienced. Carl Mannion's doing that. He's three or four points every game. <laughs> yeah, he's absolutely lethal. Um, what I loved about it was um, his brother Parik was coming through the centre and he ju- he looked at Parik and it was kind of like, are you going to give it like? And he, he, I'd say he just looked at him and go, nah. And he just kind of, he delayed for a second and that kind of, it was like time, like with him, it's like time stands still when he gets the ball. Like he doesn't even look like he's sprinting and he's just gliding away from lads. You know, many times we've seen him do that about 60 metres out and just glide away and just nonchalantly hit it over the bar. Um, he is deadly, but yeah, he's he's tough. And I thought, you know, okay, I understand why Eden Hart got it, but I thought he was Galway's man in the match. You know, he got that goal in the first half. He got 
three fantastic points. Um, the two in the second half were brilliant. The one where Galway really needed them, uh, you know, because you know, Tipper were four points up at that stage and seemed to be doing enough. They got the first point straight after the second half as well. So um, he got big scores. But that lends itself to the fact that, like, leaving Niall Amara centre-back, Mark and Cottlemanian was one of the worst decisions Tipperary made at the weekend. They played a good game. Um, and look, they were really close, even with 14 men for the last 20 minutes, and they nearly did it. But that was a very, very strange decision um, to put Niall Amara there. At ten, you know, Mark and Cottlemanian of all people. Like, whatever about him playing half-back and, and playing, you know, a different type of role, but... Marking such a danger forward in, in Cottonmanion, just that seemed a strange decision. Yeah, especially I suppose when he hadn't, because uh, was his second game at wing back for. Yeah, like yeah, he played wing back against uh, Cork, but like to win centre back then on Cottonmanion, like you know, I just think that's a big, big call to make. You know, in in modern quarter final, um, he's a really good player, and he's he's like probably an underrated player for Tipperary you know he scored a great goal in Ireland last year he, he doesn't score a lot for Tipperary um, but he obviously does a hell of a lot of things right you know he works really hard he creates a lot of space for the players um, he's very selfless with the ball um, and he's obviously real talented he can play in the half back line and half forward line or midfield wherever he's needed in fairness to him but um, as I said I just think it was a big big call and it didn't pay off Noel McGrath's performance was a strange one to say the least he started very sluggishly to the end of the first half with four points and yeah. then he got taken off shortly into the second half. Yeah, like I think, look, in fairness to him, I think he probably just emptied the tank as much as he could. Like he's, he probably had such a long year um, between the club. I think, I don't know who highlighted last night, they played 11 weeks in a row between Ireland football with the club. Um, county, did they lose the county final? final. They lost both county finals by a pint. Um, I think it was. Or... Ireland after extra time in the last. Yeah, extra time as well. Like... And the week after then lost the football to Clown well, um, by a pint as well. So, um, you know, to be to, to play that many times in a row and then obviously come in and, you know, COVID's been obviously the lockdown and stuff. It's been, you know, some players maybe that were suffering from injury got an opportunity to refresh or whatever. But to other players that maybe were training really really hard um it's been actually quite difficult because you have to stay so driven um and so disciplined on your own that's really tough and like county players are disciplined and they are driven and they do a little bit more than the count, uh, club players usually but to have to do it for such a length of time um it's quite difficult like at the end of the day we all we all sign up for a team sport like you know we don't sign up for athletics you know and that's essentially what it was during lockdown it was you know get out and run on your own um, get out and you know whatever in the backyard and do weights into the gym and do weights. Um, you're probably used to doing that in your own. You're not you're not as worried about that, but all that running consistently in your own and not playing, you know, as a team and the team dynamic like, that was really really difficult. Um, and I know a lot of people. I know I struggled with it myself, and I know a lot of people struggled with it. Um, and and you know to have to stay that disciplined for that length of time, which obviously county players had to, and you know the how professional you know the likes of Noel McGrand all those top Tipperary players would have been and, and same as most inter-county hurlers, you know, and footballers. Um, that's very, very difficult. And when you have that length of a club season then as well thrown into it, um, you know, it's very hard to stay fresh. And, and bear in mind that they're coming off the back of an all success and they are in their 30s. So like, there's a lot of variables at play there, a lot of factors. Um, I think he just, he probably emptied the, emptied the tank 
um, as best he could. He, like he was in line for man the match at halftime. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Four points in play. He got wonderful scores. Um, the one out in the middle of the field was just brilliant. Do you know, um, he set up Jason Ford for a pint as well. Um, you know, so he was he was excellent, and he just probably ran out of legs then in the second half because he was, you know, he wasn't even overly disappointed being taken off. He probably understood the the need to get legs on the field at that stage. So, um, yeah, it's a it's it's a tough one for Tipperary to take probably because they only lost by two points, and yet I still don't think, even though they hurled well for most of that game, they still weren't anywhere near their best for what they're capable of doing. You know, just a few little differences change of decision like and they could have they could have easily won the game like oh yeah 100 percent. no as i said like that matchup i think they got wrong with niall amara um i think alan flynn hurled well middle of the field um in fairness to him he probably added added a little bit but then obviously they'd lost the form of john mcgrath no um you know he only came on didn't have much of a bear in the game when he came on obviously bubbles gone off the off the panel i heard since you know he was obviously not putting the 26 um, but I heard he walked during the week as well. Um, so, you know, Bubbles is obviously hugely talented. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he will probably wasn't in, in the best physical shape he could have been in for, for um, the championship this year. So, you know, losing players of that calibre or players not playing up to the, maybe the, the pitch of what they were playing last year and still to be so close, that's, that's this, you know, that's disappointing. You know. Probably got lucky enough with uh, Bonner Mars goal. He'd be delighted if the cornerback picked it up like that, wouldn't you? Yeah, and and I don't want to take Tipperary because uh, people from Tipperary are not happy with me as it is now um, after last week. But uh, I, both goals Tipperary got were actually slips from Galway defenders. You know, Dottie Burke completely slipped and allowed Shane McCallan to get in around him, and then Shane Cooney obviously slipped as well. And as you said, kind of almost teed it up for for Bonner. So. Um, both of those goals could have been avoided from a from a Galway perspective. Um, now they were both finished really, really well. Um, but it just shows what can happen in say championship at this time of the year. Anything can happen in terms of lads just slipping or miscontrolling or dropping the ball out of their hand. And so there's so many variables of play. And even though Crow Park is a, a wonderful surface, still anything can happen at this time of the year. Um, yeah, I suppose that that adds to the beauty of it. I loved how quick Callanan's mind changed when Dahi slipped like. He had won the ball. He was putting it over the bar. He just he saw the slip and he's like, "Okay, mm-hmm. I'm gone." Yeah. I, just, I just thought the class just to, just to, to see the moment he that he notices the slip and changes his mind. Right, I'm going for goal here. Um, but in fairness to Dahi Burke, he had a fairly massive performance himself. Uh, apart from that slip, and I mean it was tough on Callan, especially as you said when he's in there on his own and. One of the people he's on in there is Dottie Burke. <laughs> it's not easy. Yeah, and and like Dottie started to, in fairness to the Galway defenders as well, they started to start bombing up the field as well when they knew the tip were under pressure at that stage. You know, Dottie, he came up that field for that sending off that um, Kyle Barrett got, obviously. He, he drove out the field at that stage and then he came out with, um, caught another great puck out as well and won a free. Um, so, you know, maybe Shamey was following filtering out a couple of times at that stage as well, but thought he wasn't afraid to maybe go on the front foot and uh, drive down the field. So, um, you know, Dottie Burke's a, a big game player, so you don't get four all-stars a full-back um, in a row um, if you're a Daw, to be fair. So he's a serious operator. Um, he's he's unreal in the air as well. And, you know, he snapping over TJ Reid the week previous as well against Kilkenny. And, um, you know, he's just, he's a savage warrior. It's going to be... An exciting prospect himself and Galan going head to head. 
Yeah, like, jeez, I tell you one thing, there's not too many forwards can, can relish going in and dotty Burke now, you know, that's because on the air, on the ground, um, anyway at all, and he's raw out as well, obviously, and he's very fast, so, yeah. I tell you, Galan will learn anything he gets off him. He's able to win high ball off Ronan Maher, so I reckon he can he'll definitely able to hold his own in eh? <laughs> That's for sure, yeah. Uh, Galway obviously playing Limerick, and there <clears throat> it'll be Galway's third week in a row. I've seen a reference by uh, Don Grady in the examiner there today. Do you think that the third week in a row is a big factor, or once you get there, does it just not matter? I don't think it matters, because I think in this day and age... Um, You've very, very tuned in managers in terms of recovery and the training load this week. And I think players will have a pep in their step, you know, after beating Galvin Saturday. Um, they'll have a or beating Tipperary on Saturday, they'll have a massive pep in their step. And they've an eight day um turnaround as well, so they're they're not too bad. Um, so I don't think it'll have any factor whatsoever. Like these boys are savage athletes. Um and you know, like Galway look a little bit refreshed this year as well. Like they, they were in almost cruise control in that Leinster final. Um, if they'd have been a little bit more ruthless, they would have won that game probably comfortably enough by six or seven points. Um, obviously, Richie Hogan was unreal when he came in. He you know changed the whole game and the fact they were able to get two goals in thirty seconds, as Kilkenny seemed to do. Um, you know that that turned that game around, but that. You know, that was the beauty of the fact that they had a second chance. They were able to learn from that. And I think from the very get-go, the last day, they seemed intent on going for goals at every opportunity they got. Um, you know, so Shane O'Neill probably has really hammered that home in the, in the week leading up to the Tipperary game. And the goals were the difference, really, essentially, because they both scored 26 times, except the, the three goals were, were the difference. Um, you know, three to two. Um, so... I don't think the, the three weeks in a row is going to have much of a bearing on this this game this weekend. And look, um, Limerick have had a two-week break and they'll have analysed Galway to death. And I heard in a practice match they played there before championship started, they, they gave Galway a comfortable enough beating as well. So um, Limerick seem to be a step ahead of everyone at the moment. But, uh, you know, I just suppose you just never know. Galway's momentum now after that big win the other day. Anything can happen, I suppose. It was uh, it was actually really really nice and refreshing to see so many goals at the weekend. Um, yeah, definitely. Like, um, again, that was probably one of the criticisms early in the championship. You know, the, the lack of goals and all the balls pinging over the bar from eight meters out, and there was very little one to one tussles and all that sort of stuff. Whereas, um, oh Jesus, it was unreal. Like as I said, I was lucky enough to be down there, and it was unbelievable to be commentating on. Do you know, you get drawn into that like and it's a savage buzz when you're there and you know and I can only imagine if there was 40,000 how how much of a buzz it was going to be like so it was unreal just to be there and being caught up in the moment seeing the goals being banged in so um, I think you know without the old cliches I think like it was it was savage to see a cracker on Saturday and um, particularly in that game and I know there was a lot of goals in the other game but um, I think the Galway the Galway tip game just was, was just it was unreal altogether, to be honest. It was one thing from the Clare Waterford game. I know, so I was actually kind of an. I'm usually I wouldn't be always say thinking oh every going long, but <clears throat> do you remember Shanahan got he got basically got two goals in a row, got a hand pass for one, then he caught he caught a ball and drove it straight in the back of the net for the second one, and then Clare gets two balls in the middle of the field, and he's in there on his own, and they drove him wide, 
Mm. I was looking at that going, surely you, you just pepper him with balls and see what happens. Like, Yeah. And like, in fairness to Shannon, I think he, when he's on it, he's very, very hard to handle. Like he's a serious operator. Um, he probably, him and probably a couple of Clare players there, like um, Shane O'Donnell and Aaron Cunningham, the probably consistency will be their issue. Um, when they're, when they're, when they're good, they're excellent. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they probably don't put those performances back-to-back. You know, Shane O'Donnell gets a lot of praise, but um, probably the out-and-out forward in me goes, I still don't think he scores enough. Um, I know he's very selfless, but, like, um, he's not a six-foot, um, lay-it-off type of player. And I know he does lay off a huge amount of ball, but you'd still like to see him score a little bit more. His return from play probably isn't enough. Be counted as an out-and-out top-class forward. But he is obviously still a serious operator. I'd just love to see a little bit more kind of selfishness from him and actually go for the juggler because he, we clearly know he has it. Like, sure, you don't score 3-3 three, three in an all and final, um, you know, unless you have that ability. And, you know, he showed, you know, he has only showed that in parts down through the years. Like, he scored an unbelievable goal against Galway in the all semi semi-final replay in Turles two years ago as well, where he just put the head down and went through three or four of them. You just you'd love to see Shane O'Donnell do that more often. Um, so yeah, go back to your point, Aaron Jenner. Look, Claire, you know, they were probably with Tony Kelly getting injured, they were probably obviously hampered a bit with that. And they, they were lacking a bit of experience as well, like the the overplayed ball when they should have been a little bit more direct, as you said, and they didn't take opportunities, you know, simple um scoring opportunities, points and goals, you know, when when they were on. Um, so yeah, it's like still it's been a decent enough year for Clare because they were um, they were fairly written off coming into the championship. Um, then when Limerick was beat them comfortably enough, they thought that was the end of them. Um, but I suppose if you were to analyse in the cold light of day, they beat Leash by a point. Now the big thing Brian Lawton said about that, and he, he is right in that. Like David McInerney was missing for about forty, maybe forty-five minutes of that game. And then they beat Wexford, obviously. Um, the big thing was there is they went with the win in the first half. You know, if you would have let Wexford go with the win in that first half and Wexford put up a seven or eight point lead, there's no way Clare would have come back into that game. There's like, I don't care what um, form Wexford rink going into that game, you just will not um, claw them back in that situation. I think the, the win of that game was the win of the toss. We would have went on and bet Waterford then and be looking forward to an Ireland semi-final. <laughs> yeah, but it is, it is small margins like that. You know what I mean? It's a, yeah. it's amazing. Sometimes when your when your luck is in or, or, or things like that, like it, it, it can be as simple as that. Like you know, how clo- much closer do you think Claire would have gotten had Tony Kelly not got that injury? Still don't think they'd have been Waterford. Uh, and I know you can say, "Geez, that's a big call." Like and and. Stephen O'Keefe saved from Aaron Cunningham. You know, there was five points in it. That would have brought it back to two, you know, different game altogether. And then I just found that Waterford always seemed to have Clare at an arm's length. You know, whatever Clare seemed to do, if they got a goal or even they got two goals, Waterford back down the field did whatever need to be. Um, even if Tony was peppering over points from left, right and centre. Uh, you know, the, the thing is, I still don't think they're, they're capable of scoring you know, whatever. Like there, to me, it was either Tony going to be scoring them or someone else going to be scoring them. Do you know? Do you know kind of, I don't think they were capable of putting up a three twenty five type of a score or three 
whatever, 27 points. You know, I, I just don't think they were capable of doing that. Um, they don't have enough firepower on, on the field to actually get them over the, over the line at the moment. You know, like you were missing Peter Duggan and John Conlon in particular. I think they're two huge losses. They're big, they're physical, they offer um, the ability to go route one, that directness that they, they probably um, they need. You know, obviously I know Shanahan did that at times, but um, I just think uh, Claire, if they can get them back, um, they would have something serious to build on after this year. Yeah, and two Galvins and Podge Collins. Yeah. Whatever happened yeah, to I Conor did. McGrath? Suffered a lot with injuries. Uh, yeah. Huge amount of injuries. And Ferguson, like, he was lethal. He was one of the best corner forwards in the game. You know, he just had that turn of pace and, again, that direct running. You know, you think of that goal he got in the Ireland against Cork. It was just yeah. unbelievable. Pinpoint top corner. And for a couple of years there, he was just... He, he was, was actually like, probably unmarkable, like. Yeah, it's unfortunate because a couple of them Clare boys have had, you know, bad enough injuries. Um, you know, Dara Honan was the same. His hips were at him. Um you know, you think it was the Conor Ryan was centre back, and you know he obviously he wasn't able to continue playing as well. So like they've they've, they've lost their fair share of players over the years too. You know from that team in twenty thirteen. Yeah. John Conlon looked like he had a he had a cast on his arm hurling last year. What's the story with that? Do you know? Um, don't clearly, know. Clearly, clearly wasn't moving right. Like. No, no. Um, don't know for definite, but yeah, he did have that protective um, kind of cast. We'll want for want of a better description. Um, so yeah, but he's he's raw out as well. And first of all, he was one of the players that came out the start of the year as well and said that he wasn't so sure about the championship going ahead because of COVID. Because I think his his mum was sick. You know, he wasn't so keen to be going out and meeting other players and whatever in in, in this situation. And like it was a very honest call by him. Like and um, yeah, you have to you have to admire that and respect that as well. Like you know, um. It's great that the championship has gone ahead, but you know we're very um, presumptuous that it's all um, very easy for these county players. You know, at the end of the day, a lot of these have to go home to, to families and whether you have elderly parents or grandparents or a spouse or a wife or partner or whatever. Um, we just don't know the situations that they're in, and a lot of people, um, while they're very happy to, um, a lot of people it might be so easy and they mightn't have been able to say no either and maybe took risks that they, they weren't willing to take as well because you know because yeah. people say oh they, they, they have a choice they don't really because peer pressure is there and it's a it's a real thing it doesn't matter what age you are you imagine there's also pressure of you know i don't think there's been any high profile player to have gotten covid but you imagine if they do and then other players get it in the squad that there'll be finger pointing and all this kind of nonsense too mm. And then you have Bernard Brogan coming out with a ridiculous um, uh, suggestion that they put him up in a hotel for a month. Like, what planet is that chapter living <laughs> I, I, I think he's living in his own uh, his own county experience where they have a bit yeah. of ching-ching. And <laughs> <laughs> Unless you have it down in Wexford and Davey would have put you all up for the for the month or whatever, but... Uh, I don't think he took no. anything. I, I, I'd, and I wouldn't mind, but that was on the Matt Cooper, talking to Matt Cooper. Yeah, and, and, and Matt, Matt Cooper thought it was a great suggestion. He thought yeah. it was an unbelievable idea. <laughs> you know, should the NBA are doing it over in America? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but look, thank God the championship did go ahead because it's given so much to so many people. Um, yeah. know, I see it there. Um, my mother and my wife's parents and, you know, the, the, the elderly... Like and just everyone really, you know, whether it doesn't matter what is there, everyone's talking about. It. I see it, the kids in school as well, everyone talking about it. So it's 
it's great. Look, I think I think the government, it's one thing, people have been very critical of government and I suppose the anti-GA people out there would have been very critical of when they heard it was going ahead. But the government, that's one thing they had right, that they, they realised the importance of, um, or the place of GA in the Irish society and they knew that a lockdown was in, imminent and it was going to happen at some stage. But um, the joy that the, say, the lockdown could bring to the to people of Ireland rather than just constantly watching like the Premiership or you know whatever rugby or whatever else was going on, they knew that it's just not the same to, to the vast majority of Irish people, the, the draw, the GA. And where would you have seen days like yesterday in the football? Do you know? Um, not often I'd be watching football, let me tell you. Um, it's not often it's worth watching, but uh, you know, those two wins yesterday for Tipperary and Cavan were just phenomenal. Like We only know Harlan here. <laughs> we burst footballs. <laughs> we used to have junior team. C. We used to have junior C in Quillery. I have two junior C medals actually. Um, but we used to make sure that the balls weren't too hard because they'd be hurting your foot. Because we obviously we didn't train. Um, we just turn up to play, and if, it was all right if we were playing other teams and so awfully because they'd be hurling clubs as well and playing the ball. They soft, and they wouldn't be used to it either. Well. <laughs> yeah, but then if you play the crowd from North, like maybe it's their second or third team to be going nuts ah ref the ball's too soft we were like will you stop me foot's killing me I to train for the hurling tomorrow <laughs> so I was like <laughs> we drive them mad Tom Brady style deflating yeah, the balls yeah. yeah deflating the ball yeah um, yeah but then uh, started to a couple of the fixtures started to clash with um, hurling um, so we just like as in they were too soon to hurling games or stuff like that and we're like no nah, we're not playing that anymore so um yeah, I always made it my business not anymore. to kick the ball. Yeah, no. Not, it wasn't anything to do with being sore now. It was just because I knew it wasn't going to be going where I was. <laughs> oh, no. We, uh, unfortunately, I still had notions that I might be able to actually try and kick it over the bar as well. So, um, yeah. Eventually, they get knocked out of you fairly quickly, too. Is it a bit harsh now on poor Callum Lines after doing such a good job on Tony Kelly? that it'll be put down to Tony Kelly's injury rather than how good of a job he did. He's been some operator this year, to be fair to him. Do you know, he got 1-2 from wing back against Cork. Um, serious performance, played quite well in that that Munster final too. Um, do you know, like, no, Gerard Hegarty probably got the grips of him in the, in the, the last period, but all of Limerick took over, I think, in that last period. Do you know, the, the water, the water break. Um, issue that Limerick seem to be nailing at the moment um, so we'll forgive him for that but Callum Lines has, has been serious this year um, he's some athlete he'd be a disaster now to be marking for the likes of me now um, trying to chase that lad down the field and he and he just moving away from you but um, he's obviously well out of hurl as well he's 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 raw he's aggressive um, you know and he he was he was obviously really pumped up for that game the other day as well um yeah yeah i still think people are giving him credit for for the know that he's in serious form this year and speaking of the injury actually tony kelly you know you hate to see it happen um but you see that actually happen a lot in soccer where the artificial grass is on the side of the, the real grass pitch and you know i see players running out over the side of it and they're just rolling an ankle really simple um it was so innocuous what happened to him um, it's a pity and you see a lot of grounds obviously seen in Croft Park as well a lot of grounds putting it in alongside because obviously for teams warming up or managers walking up another line but 
it's a dangerous situation when you see that happen so simply the other day with Tony Kelly because it wasn't like he had a big jump and fell on yeah. it where you know it was an impact. He literally just kind of ran across it. Um, it's so dangerous, especially it's okay maybe when the ground is hard, you know, in the height of summer, but it's because you're coming from even though as good as the Parky Creek surface was, it's still soft, um, relatively soft, you know, going from that into such a hard surface, and that's what's causing it. And he's probably wearing six stud as well, which obviously is not conducive to running on AstroTurf. So, yeah, um, it's a pity. And like it was highlighted last night in the Sunday game, like, you know, fair play to him for playing on because, you know, we've all been there. We've rolled an ankle. And I tell you one thing, um, it ain't easy to stay playing. And it was actually a good point that was made that probably half time is the worst thing to happen to him when he stops yeah. and allows the ankle to actually swell up a little bit. And it's a lot harder to get back out then for the second half. Yeah, and then the point he got in the second half then where he <laughs> took God and turned, I'd say like that probably took a lot out of his body as well because you do it and your body can do it. It's just the reaction afterwards. It's like when it goes through that, I'm just actually um, thinking to myself here because I've had serious ankle trouble myself over the years and I'm just grimacing um, at the thoughts. But being honest, uh, I still have to strap my ankle every single day, gross. Um, so yeah, it's an absolute disaster when, when that starts to happen. And like he'll probably have time to rest it now. But the, the biggest mistake you can do is try and play too soon after it as well. And if they had won, obviously he'd have been trying to play next weekend and he could have done a fair bit of damage to it over the over yeah. over time. Like I suppose be uh it'd be wrong was not to mention the most fun player of the weekend, Desi Hutchinson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's been threatening to do this now for a while, um, you know, to cut loose. He's obviously he was doing it for Bally Gunner. Um, but uh Jesus, like his pace is unbelievable. He's 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 another man that's um he's got an eye for goal, but he, he kind of has it all in the game as well. You know, he's able to be out in front and win. He's not afraid to put his hand up and win high ball. So he's able to win his own ball. He's left and right side as well. Um he knows when to take a point. Yeah. No, it's serious. And like look, it was it was a good battle, but like I still People say it was a great battle, whatever Roy has, but if still if your man's taking it for two two, um, <laughs> you have to give you have to give the nod to Desi in fairness to him in this do, one. Yeah, yeah. No, that was a bit out, strange. His pick out for Jack Fagan for the other goal was pretty class as well. Yeah, yeah, it was class. But like maybe this goes back to the naivety of Claire, like as well with the defending. Um, you know, Jack Fagan was just completely unmarked. All the Clare players went to the ball, and that's exactly same with the same with Desi's second goal. Do you know what I mean? Um, how simple that was, you know, route one poke out straight down the centre, they all go past it, and he just, you know, gets in behind that, you know, but he was very composed um, when he's finished, to be fair to him, so, yeah. as I said, he's been threatening this, he's been, he's been the main man for Bally Gunner in terms of scores down there for the last two years. Um, and Is this only his second year back, Harlan? Am I wrong with that? I'm fairly certain of that as well, yeah. Yeah, so like, like, like that's, yeah, <laughs> I can only imagine that he's just going to keep getting better and better because I assume he lost a bit and not having hurled for three to four years or however long it was yeah and like what I love about him is that his ability to take points even from 40-50 metres out under pressure left and right That's that to me is a sign of a, a serious operator um, you know like when he gets under pressure he's still able to okay I know he's using his pace but he's able to you know maybe shoot those points that um on the back foot or whatever that the top class players are able to do. So he 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 has it all and as you said, Ben he's going he's just going to get better and better, I think. So 
um, kind of watch that space for this lad. Waterford have kind of they're kind of coming under the radar a little bit. They've been fairly impressive. Liam Cal looks to be doing a really good job. Do we see him being able to put up to Kilkenny next weekend? You're dead right. Um, you see them putting up to Kilkenny because the, the way they're the way that Liam Cal, Mickey Bevins, Mikey Bevins has them drilled. Them boys don't fear anyone. Do you know? Um, and that's not saying that afterwards I have some insight into their camp, Martin Bennett. Um, he's their speed coach. He 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 was um, the strength and conditioning coach was here in Coolary. Um, he's with them and he's doing a bit of speed with them. And you know, he's been raving to me about Liam Cal and Mickey Bevins. I don't give away a state secrets or anything, but you know, he was just saying how driven they've been since day one when they went in there and um, just not taking a backward step and um, you know, just change. Not once I change that mindset, but maybe re reinforce that mindset that they had when they were at their best a couple of years ago. You know, um, being fearless in their approach because that's exactly what Waterford were when they were at the top. I think you know they took the last couple of years really, really hard. Um, they probably lost all their confidence um, as a group of players, considering how successful that group of players were. Um, you know, underage between minor and under twenty one, and obviously get to a senior All Ireland. And they probably started to doubt themselves. I think Liam Kyle is probably starting to reinforce that, but and Mickey Bevins, but they've started to reinforce it through hard work, first and foremost. Um, they probably obviously were slaves to a system as well. Um, with Derek Brown, I know Derek argues otherwise that you know they, they, they weren't and nothing were able to hurl whatever they felt like, but it obviously, unless I'm, I'm blind, it didn't look that way from the outside. Um, seem to be fairly um, structured in terms of always having a sweeper and um, you know leaving one player inside at times and load of game plans and systems as well and um, you know it seemed to, to they seem to have a notting la- year last year with Declan Fanning um, I, I think or Porrick Fanning sorry um, I think it was very hard on Porrick for such a a stalwart Watford man and finally getting his opportunity to take the county senior team it was such a hard gig to take after Derek McGrath because the, the players just obviously loved Derek and loved everything about him and believed in everything he does Derek's clearly a savage players man and did so much right and nearly got them to the promised land um, so it was hard for them and they probably struggled to come out of that system um, and move up to 15 on 15 as, as like Bark was probably trying to do with them and you know, again, a lot of factors at play. You know, former players have dropped and injuries, and a couple of players getting older, like the Brick and Kevin Moore, and obviously getting older. Liam Kyle just came in then and shook things up. He shook things up maybe a little bit much in terms of Noel Connors and uh, Morris Shannon, but he certainly let out his thought he was going to do it his way. Um, so that maybe probably rattled a few cages within the camp as well that they realised that geez, things are going to be different around here now. Um, and their work rate is phenomenal. But like, I, I've heard of a couple of people say it at the weekend and it's a very valid point since um, is, work rate should be given at, inter- at any level now at this stage, the way the game has gone. Um, but I, I think it comes back to their belief. Um, yeah, they're working hard. They seem to be relishing in their work rate. I think that's probably the, the big fundamental shift in, in their mindset. They're mad to turn over. Um, they're all working. Then you'll hear, you know, the statements like, oh, they're hunting in packs and they're hungry and all those statements that we hear. That comes back to the fact that obviously they're supremely fit. 
they're really focusing it on their work rate, their hooks, their blocks, their turnovers, all those sort of things. And they're seeing as their, um, you know, their key stats that they're going after. And the other fundamental shift is, which Liam Cal clearly had with his under-20s and under-21s with Tipperary, they're going for goals. If, if they get a ball inside the 45-yard line, head down and go, and probably the first goal the other day we saw that, Stephen Bennett probably um, would have tapped that ball over the bar. Most players would have tapped that ball over the bar, especially taking on Shane and Morning, who's no slouch. Um, yeah. You know, just would have tapped it over and he just put the head down and went straight for goal. And he did it later on again and was saved. But um, it just shows their mindset has shifted. And like, like Tipperary blitzed Cork and Ireland under 20 All Ireland last year, um, you know, for goals. And I think that's one thing that Liam Cal really looks for in his team. You know, they the, blitz, blitzed Wexford too. Yeah, that's true. Oh, Got a few yeah. goals that day, yeah. Yeah, that wasn't a great day for you boys. I was at that. Um, it wasn't a great day to be commentating. They had to go to a good few other games and ad breaks, let me tell you, that day, um, unfortunately. But, um, well, in fairness, the Wexford were missed a couple of the best players too. So, But, um, yeah, no, I just think the, the mindset. And I just think as well that their belief in how fit they are is also a big thing. Like that's I think in the last quarter, even uh, you've seen it against Cork, you've seen it the other day against Clare, even saw it in parts against Limerick, even though Limerick started to dominate. Um, they're starting to open their legs, believe in their fitness, um, believe in maybe that little bit of speed work they're doing with Martin Bennett. Um, because his is as much about your running form and um, the efficiency of how you run. And I think you're starting to see that come into the into the players. And, you know, it's like a perfect storm at the moment for Watford. Yeah, just what you said there about their fitness I suppose that allows them to keep their intensity up they're so, they're so intense in the tackle and all the intensity they bring has been huge and being able to keep that up for 70 minutes is it's crucial or like I suppose you could look at Wexford last week and they started extremely intense but it petered out a little bit maybe when the adrenaline ran out or something or they just weren't able to keep it going Waterford seem to be able to keep it going and it's probably down to that the fitness that they believe that in that they have. Yeah, but again, I don't think it's as measurable as just fitness because a lot of it's got to do with... Every team is fit. Like, yeah, I, Wexford are super fit and don't tell me for one second that they're not fit and how hard they've trained. And we all know how hard, like everyone knows how hard Wexford have trained over the last number of years under Davey. Um they got something so, wrong with the timing or something. Yeah, and to me, look, again, I'm only looking at it from the outside. I know we're moving away from what for a second, but for Wexford, to me, they look overcoached. Again, it comes back to too many systems, too many styles of hurling, overthinking it, overplaying the ball, going lateral an awful lot, you know, huge amount of possessions and not a lot of maybe direct play, only playing one player inside at times. And all those variables, they're great and they bamboozle teams at times and it can really, really work. Um but the problem, it comes back to my whole puck out strategy. There comes a time when sometimes you just need to man up and win your own positions and, you know, just be a little bit more orthodox at times. Um, you know, I, I just think you can't forget that that's the, 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 you know, the most important aspect of the play. It's like, it's, it's almost like a, it's a tribal fight, really. Like, you know, you have to just, you know, remember... That, that you have to you know the amount of people that can win their own individual battles um, adds to the collective you know chance of winning the game um, so to go back to that for Waterford I think the key thing there is that the fact that yeah they're super fit but they believe in what they're doing um, it's just that perfect storm 
you know, and I think Wexford had that for a couple of years. Remember, it's year four for Wexford as well. Um, it's a long year to stay doing it. So it's a long few years to stay doing that and stay in that hunger when you're trying that kind of approach all the time. And we've had more or less the same panel of players for Wexford over the last four years as well. There's been very, very little change. Yeah. You know, Cody tends to change things up very, very quickly. You know, you think about that. John Kiley's not been afraid to, to run the changes and he's had to through injury as well. So so if we were to push it for um, the two semifinals, who have you got? Sound. As I abs- I'm going to be honest, I hate giving predictions. Right? I will give you them, right? But I absolutely hate it. We don't have to do this. Yeah. Very <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> You know, I, I'd say I've got a 20% record on, on my yeah. prediction, so feel free. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, no, I swear to God, look, um, I actually, I know this sounds like romantic or stupid, but I actually hate it. I actually get so caught up in, I can't wait to see the game and see what unfolds. And I hate trying to prove, oh, I'm right. I know so much about Hurling. Do you know this kind of way? Um, I'm convinced whoever's going to win at the weekend. I actually I don't like to think like that. And I know I have to change that maybe mindset when you're trying to get into the media world and analysis and punditry and all that jazz. Put your neck in the line and don't be worried what people think. But um, yeah, and I hate, like, I'm not a betting man. I don't, <laughs> you know, I people quote odds to me and everything. And I'd be like, oh, geez, yeah, I never even thought of that or whatever. Um, so yeah, who do I think will win? Anyway, that's a long story for you. Um, Waterford Kilkenny, I'll give the tip to Kilkenny again. <sighs> Jesus. Um, I think Waterford are going to give them a serious rattle. Um, but I, if you see Clare creating seven goal chances against Waterford, um, if Kilkenny get half of them, they will they will take them. Um, and look, Clare took three. Um, I think Waterford's big players won't fear them. You know, Tyg de Borca, Jamie Barron, even Austin. Ozzy loves hurling against Kilkenny. He just seems to come into his own um, anytime he plays against them. Um, Stephen Bennett, you know, and their younger players are fearless at the moment as well. But um, they're going to meet a team that's going to work just as hard. Um, you know, and I think that's what they met in Limerick as well. You know, they're the three most hard, hardest working teams, Kilkenny, Limerick and, and Waterford at the moment. You would have had Wexford up there. Um yeah, but as I said, something went wrong with Wexford. But yeah, so I just think Waterford are going to meet a team that's going to work just as hard as them. They're going to be just as honest. And I just think that Kilkenny then will have that little bit more firepower and that little bit more experience that will see them over the line. But um, I think it'll be a titanic battle in that one. And then the other one, um, I'm going to go with Limerick just because they seem to be a step above everyone at the moment. Um, physically, um, in terms of personnel, you know, they're missing two out of full back line and they're still um, an absolute machine. You know, the way they're able to just move players around, even things like, you know, obviously Kyle Hayes going back, wing back, Keen Lynch to go from midfield to centre forward. Um, you know, they're serious outfit. I think that's what got more line against Waterford in the Munster final. Um, I know we had the, the water break and we referred to that already, but. It's just their panel is just unbelievable. And they always make an impact. Bring in Seamus Flanagan, um, you know, Pat Ryan, the likes of these L to come in and just fit in seamlessly and push them on when they need it. Um, so I just think Limerick had that a little bit too much. And again, Galway are, you know, they're a serious outfit. It's been a really, really good year for Shane O'Neill in his first year, considering he probably 
was one of the managers that really was hamstrung um, in terms of his access to his players during that COVID. There was no such thing as sneaky sessions for, for Valla. Um, the club scene is so dominant down there um, that that would have been really difficult. Um, so Shannon has done an excellent job of him. Um, if he plays a sweeper, which he has done in the last two games, um, I think Limerick will find a way around that. They're absolutely excellent. They're, you know, we obviously know all about Canerk and, yeah, but you know, people forget about their backroom set up as well. You know, like they have a serious hurling brand there, hurling brands there as well. So they're able to find a way around it. Um, so I just think Limerick are that just that little bit further down the line of, of, of where Galway are at at the moment. I know this is more or less me other than who's Galway team, but um, I just think Limerick are a step ahead of everyone at the moment. And so I'm going with Limerick and Kilkenny all in the final. What do you think, Ben? I'd be hard to argue with Brian. I, yeah, I don't tend to ever tip against Kilkenny, so I'll stick with Kilkenny. But look, I'll, I'll go with Galway to be different. <laughs> I think the two I think, Johnnies are doing a forfeit by the way so what's your forfeit by you getting these all, all these predictions wrong if you're on 20% Gary what are you going saying I'm, I'm not on definitely 20% I just thrown out a number I could be on <laughs> you're backtracking now Danny Smacks is going going singing the off your over so um, I'll gladly help you out now with the off your over if you want Gary so, uh, uh, <laughs> we'll get you back on to sing uh, Purple and Gold yeah. The <laughs> I tell you, you lose a lot of listeners if you listen to me singing it. I tell you, but I gladly say I sang them before. I tell you, they're two great songs. We could uh, we could push you to get your to get your six best Wexford players. Yeah, go on. So one you know, from each line. One from each line. <clears throat> well, without doubt, it has to be for Henry in the goal anyway, right? Um, as I said, broke my heart on too many occasions. Um, unbelievable, sound man. I, I got a goal or two against him in the practice match. I think it was up the height of it now for for me. Uh, I don't think I got a goal against him in Championship or League. Um, so yeah, he was some operator, and even like um, like he was such a big for someone to be in goal and be such a big player for for a team um, speaks volumes. Um, so yeah, sound man as well. Yeah, full back line. I'd have to go with the Doc. Um, uh, it was little versus large anyway, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> I'm five foot eight, pretending I'm five foot nine, and he probably six foot two or three. And uh, more. Team, uh, yeah, yeah, more and the big long strides on him as well. I often maybe was able to read it a little bit better and get in front of him. By the time we got to the ball, then he was reaching in over me or um, getting the long hurl across me as well. So, um, yeah, I definitely didn't want high ball pumped down top of me either. Um, with him, so I had some serious battles with him, and he was cute as a fox. Um, so yeah, he was he was tough to mark. If I got two points off him, I, I'd be absolutely delighted with myself. So um, yeah, he was he was class. Half back line, I'd probably go. I I it'd be between Rossi and I know Rossi played in the full back line. I'd be between Rossi and um, like Liam Dunn. Obviously, I played against Liam a couple of times. Um, but probably he's a different era, so I won't probably include um Liam there. Um, so I'd be thinking Rossi and even Gizzy when Gizzy was wing back he was actually unreal mm. um, and I know he was only back there for a couple of years but he was one of those players again a real awkward left-hander Katog I hated marking them um, he was driving that and his pace was unbelievable as well he did two things that I hated marking pace and left-handed <laughs> being honest so uh, yeah the more I, the more I think about Gizzy was a nightmare, but um, I might fit him in somewhere else and put in Rossi because I think it'd be 
remiss of me not to put Rossi on a team um, that I played against. As I said, I played against him all the way up along. He's a serious operator. Um, Raw as well, knew when to, I don't know, was it any boys down there or something, knew when to foul and went to hit a lot of clip of the hurl across the hand and maybe get a ball thrown in and stuff like that. Um, brilliant at that. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I go with Rossi so on the halfback line. Um, and like I did play against Adrian Fenlon, he was middle of the field in 2004, and obviously, again, he'd walk on any team, but again, I think he's a maybe a different era. So, um, you know, to be fair, I, I'd probably go with the lads I wouldn't hurl. I might throw Gizzy in midfield then. Um, you know, Gizzy was, as I said, he, for those couple of years, he played in the backs, and obviously he went up midfield, and he went wing forward, he went wherever he needed to be. Um, and I'll tell you one thing. Um, Gizzy's a change man, obviously, but when he was younger, he was wild, as he often said himself. And we had a, a couple of right trips with Leinster, too, by the way, a couple of right sessions. Um, so uh, he was a great man for the for the nights out, let me tell you. We had a great night over in Boston. Um, and along with his partner in crime back then, Owen Quigley. So um, uh, I'll put Owen Quigley in the half hour line. Um, that wonder point he scored against Kilkenny, but he was. He was excellent as well. Um, played with him with Leinster a couple of times um, too. And then in the inside line, for me, there's only one man, that's Rory Jacob. Um, I think he's absolutely top class. Um, he was as good a corner forward was um, that was out there for five or six years or even longer. Um, he was a serious operator. Always had to mark the best cornerback out there and just was always able to find scores, whether it was goals or points or whatever. Um, yeah, so... That's my best six, boys. Very good. Six. Very good six. I can't yeah. remember now. I probably I probably left someone out now that I've glaring obvious, but um, you know, they're the ones that come to mind straight away anyway for me. If I think about Wexford and who I came up against and yeah. the best operators I played against. And I said in my era, lads I count my age. So actually talking to Mitch Jordan a couple of a couple of months ago now, you lads in the forwards, corner forwards and Wing forward, he didn't have it easy with who he's had to mark. No, that's for sure. <laughs> Jesus, he was, he was Christ, talking about uh, Dermot O'Sullivan, Wayne Sherlock, JJ Delaney. Yeah, 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 like Ollie Canning, you, you name it now. Tommy, obviously, as well. Um, yeah, like I looked, there was sure was a like I know everyone talks about the 90s being a glorious era for Ireland, but like the noughties, there were some operators out there at that time. Um, and I said like my own uh, Offaly man uh, David Franks he was as good a cornerback I tell you one thing if you got a point or two off him in training you were ready for championship hurling he was serious and, and I mean that again uh, so fast scored a point off John Milan in, in Turles in 2008 um, breaking onto a ball out the field you know when cornerbacks didn't go up the field you know what I mean the two of them went to a ball ended up 50 metres out and he just stayed going went solo and scored an unbelievable point from about 50 metres out Um so yeah, there was some serious operation. I'm thinking of Richie Cohen now as well. I marked him a good few times when I was out wing forward. The size of his legs, Lord Jesus Christ Almighty, two tree trunks. Um, yeah, so. Um, yeah, I, had, I, I, had, I had a month in the panel and in that month, it was Jerry Fitzpatrick was the Trenton conditioning trainer. And one of the things we were doing was basically jujitsu rolling and I was doing it with Richie. Yeah, about it. <laughs> Having him on top of you, and you, he's trying to trying to hold you down. You're trying to get up, but I had no hope. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, he was oh Jesus, he was a bear of a man. To be fair to him, um, 
And we played Faye Harriers earlier this year as well, and he was still going to be fair to him. So, um, yeah. Thank you, Brian. Much thank appreciated. You. Thanks a million for your time, Brian. Let's thank you. Good luck. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care. Hope you enjoyed our podcast with Brian. As many of you probably already know, he's a very sound man and has his own podcast, Harlow's Life, which is class if you want to give it a listen. Unfortunately, Shane Tompkins could not make it as he says that we are making up stories about him. So hopefully he calms down. We'll be back soon with another podcast. In the meantime, spread the word, tell your friends. That'd be great. Thanks for listening. Most importantly, I'd like to thank you, the people of Wexford, who stuck with us through taking pain. Hello, Wexford!